want to do something a little bit different than I've done in the past. You know, in the past, I keep on deciding on, on topics. And really, this, this series is called From the Rabbi's Desk. So I guess it should be more uh, the topics that come up all the time. In the, come across the rabbi's desk all the time. You know, recently, I was contacted by a a young rav who needs shimush in paskening halacha. So he asked me if I could share, if I can collect the different shilas that I get over the course of a week and share with him. And um, and so I started actually whenever I get an email, I put it in a folder. So now each week I send him an email of whatever shilas were asked of me that week, at least the ones that were emailed to me, not the ones that, that, uh, that, I, that I, you know, people come over to me after davening or whatever. So I wanted to give just a, I, I, I printed out copies. Nachum, I'll tell you what it says. I printed, I printed out copies and uh, of, of just the random collection of Shilohs that were asked this week. And I figured you'll tell me what interests you and we'll, we'll go from there. Um, you know, it was sort of like an eye opener for me because I always, uh, I always thought that I, I was a young rub, and then you know someone comes over to me, like for mentoring, that makes me old, I guess. I overheard someone talking um, about another young rabbi who's uh, who, who had spoken somewhere, and they said. He was like a young Rabbi Leibowitz. And I'm like, no, I'm a young Rabbi Leibowitz. <laughs> they, uh, it was a compliment. The guy's much better than me, but still. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, I guess I'll start from the beginning. Should I give you a minute or two to look over, see what, uh, what, what interests you, what piques your interest? So I'll start from the beginning, maybe, because that... Yeah, I'll start from the beginning, and then you'll look as I'm doing the first one. You'll, uh, we'll try to run through as many of them as we can. So there's a, just a random collection of different questions that people have emailed to me over the course of this week. So the first one, someone, someone asked me, is it halachically okay to order something online, Amazon Prime, if there's an extremely likely possibility that it will be delivered on Shabbos? Amazon Prime guarantees two-day delivery, so you let it order on Thursday. If you order on Thursday, then uh, most likely it's going to be delivered on Shabbos. So first of all, with Amazon Prime, I happen to be an Amazon Prime member. It's not a guarantee that it's going to be delivered on Shabbos, because it's very likely if you order on Thursday will be delivered on Friday. So it's not necessarily going to be delivered on Shabbos. But then the question is, what if you have something that you know is going to be delivered on Shabbos? Is there some sort of iser to order something that's going to be delivered on Shabbos? So in general, whenever it comes to, uh, to mail, Shulchanach talks about sending mail on Shabbos. Shulchanach talks about sending it on Shabbos in, in Simon Reish Mem Zayin. Shulchanach says that you're allowed to put uh, uh, put a letter in the mailbox a minute before Shabbos, if you want, even though you know that the post office is going to be dealing with it on Shabbos, because whatever you do is probably not mira da mira. You know, they're also be, assuming that they're a guy. If you live in Eretz Yisrael, then it may be a more complicated issue. But when it comes to right, not so pashut, but uh, but the Shulchan Aruch says that, that that you're allowed to do it because you're not even uh, asking them to. You're just putting it in that in that in that place. Um, the Shmir Shabbos Kulchazer quotes from Rosh Zalman that you shouldn't send a package from Chutzlar to Tzitz Yisrael because uh, it's it's, uh, it's it, it, it's it wouldn't only be Amir Laakum over there it would be with Neiver as well. But um, but in a normal case, the Mishnah Brura, the Shulchan Aruch points out that it's uh, that it's that it's going to be mutter. Um, now the. Uh, the 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 but w- when it comes to to accepting packages to receiving packages so there are a few issues first issue is marasayin 
that it will people think that you ordered it specially on Shabbos to be delivered on Shabbos, which would be a violation of Amir La'akum directly. So, uh, so it doesn't seem that if you order something within, you know, with, where it's sent with normal U.S. Postal Service or with UPS, where they deliver it whenever they deliver it, and it's understood that you don't order it, that most of the time when something is delivered to you, you didn't order it for a specific day, it doesn't seem that that would be Marisayin, because that's not something that is normally done where it's ordered for a specific day. So I don't think that would be an issue. Now, it could be an issue if you have UPS picking something up from your house on Shabbos. That would be, uh, at the very least, Marisayin, because obviously they don't pick things up randomly from your house unless you ask them You ask them to come. Now, when it comes to the a second issue is handling the mail. Uh, the handling mail that arrives on Shabbos is muksa on two levels. First of all, anything that comes outside, from outside the Tchum and Shabbos is a problem of muksa. And second of all, even if it comes from inside the Tchum, if it doesn't serve any purpose on Shabbos, it may be an issue of muksa. But stop just getting it delivered, just having it dropped at your house. It doesn't seem that that would be, uh, that would be a problem, especially if you didn't ask for it specifically to be delivered on Shabbos. You never ask for anyone to deliver on Shabbos. You just may not be able to handle it or to do anything with it uh, until Shabbos is over, which normally I think is the way we deal with mail that comes on Shabbos. I didn't think that that was a very uh, significant problem. I thought that that was pretty, a pretty straightforward. Shiloh. I do it all the time. I, I don't pay attention to what day it is when I'm ordering on Amazon Prime. And I think that's, uh, that's, that's fair. Yeah. <laughs> so a separate Amazon Prime. Once we're on the topic of Amazon Prime, can your friend use your Amazon Prime account? You, you have to, um, you know at the beginning when you sign up for anything and you click I agree after not reading about 15 pages, you have to read those pages and see what you agreed to. And if you, uh, right, it's not worth it. So uh, th- there is a, a certain amount of sharing, I believe, that's, that, that Amazon Prime allows, but not that much. So um, you can do it within the, the rules. That's That's always... That's always going to be the answer when you ask me these kinds of things. <laughs> whatever, whatever the rules you agree to and the rules the company sets, that's what you're allowed to do. If you're, you're not allowed to go beyond beyond those rules. Any of the other questions catch your eye? I didn't, you know, I just was getting the ball rolling with the uh, with the mail questions. Fourteen. Fourteen, and then we'll do the last one. Okay. Fourteen was. Oh, this is okay. Rabbi Leibowitz, I was wondering if you could provide some halacha guidance regarding the following. Okay, maybe I won't read the whole thing. I'll just summarize. Essentially, is a a uh, guy who learned in Yeshivat Karen Biavna, my alma mater, uh, from 2008-2010, not exactly the years I was there. And uh, now he's, uh, he's studying in the university, or th- he then went to university in Manchester, where he's from. He's from England, he's from the UK. And now he's married and lives and works in Manchester. Now, I have never been to, to Manchester, but from what I understand and from what he's describing, you could uh, say that it's a very Haredi-style type of community, meaning that the, uh, the Rabbanim and the institutions there are much more uh, the yeshivish right-wing brand of orthodoxy. Now, his main hashpa in life was from Yeshivat Karim Biavna, Hezder Yeshiva. All the people he was taught to admire are people like Rav Shechter, Rav Willard, Rav Sachs, you know, people like this who are, uh, who are gedolim in our, in, 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 uh, in the modern Orthodox world. And, uh, and have a certain derech in Pesach Halacha, a certain derech hachayim, and that's, that's what he stells to, to, that's what he connects to on a, on a certain level. And he wants to know, living in one type of community, being a person who's the type of person from another type of community, 
who should he ask his shilas to? Is it even fair or right for him to ask his shilas by sending emails to uh, to me or to you know to, to so that I can ask my rebbe to, to get him his answers to his shilas? Or is it is that incorrect if he chooses to live in a community? So you have to go by the by what's what's going on in the community, and would it make a difference? when it comes to things that would clearly make him stick out. Meaning, if you were to follow Rav Salvechik's opinion, he gives the example, if you were to follow Rav Salvechik's opinion about shaving during Svira, where Rav Salvechik holds that you're allowed to shave during Svira, very, uh, very straightforward opinion, that as soon as you look ugly, you can shave, so you're allowed to shave during, during Svira. So if you were to hold that in a community where nobody is shaving during Svira, it would look very, very strange. So is he allowed to do that? He, I'll give another example that he doesn't give. If everyone in his shul wears a hat and jacket for davening, so is he obligated to wear a hat? A hat for, if he were to ask his rav, I'm sure his rav, the rav in the, the community where he lives, if, uh, I'm sure the rav would tell him that you should wear a hat for davening because that's the halacha, that's what the Mishaburah says, that a person is obligated to wear a hat. I, I would tell you the Mishaburah isn't really saying that. The Mishaburah is saying that the only reason we wear a hat is because no one would ever go out and greet a melech without a hat and that, that's, that, that was considered a respectful way of dress. But nowadays, uh, if, you would, if you would show up to the White House to meet the president with a fedora on your head, he would ask you which platinum-selling uh, album you, 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 you produced. You know, he, wouldn't, uh, he, would, he would not assume that that's, a, that's not a way a normal business person or, you know, would, 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 would dress nowadays. So, but that's not their, their, uh, their, their mahalich. It's not their... Uh, someone told me in the name of Rav Henech, that he said that... Um, no one goes to greet the president anymore. But that's only because of the breakdown of society. If, uh, if society were still a respectable society, then they would wear a hat to greet the president. So you, it, it doesn't go by, uh, you know, some say that it goes by how you would go to visit Rav Chaim Kanievsky, how you would go visit not the president, but how you would go visit the Gedola Yisrael. So if you go visit Rav Chaim Kanievsky, people who go visit Rav Chaim Kanievsky wear a hat, so they should wear a hat. But uh, but uh, but but Rav said no. It goes by how you would you would see an important official in a culture that has uh, that has some self-respect. But our culture has no self-respect, and uh, you see you see pictures of leaders of state, you know, in jeans and with their shirts off and all sorts of uh, crazy things. So uh, so so we we wouldn't follow that that gather. But he wants to know. So what what should his mahalich be? In establishing his religious life, should he convert, so to speak, to uh, to, to being a Haredi, or should he uh, should should he maintain his uh, his with the way he's been trained? So, what are the issues over here? What's if you had to? He said, you know, he he's fair about the way he asked the question. He says it's a halachic slash hashkafic question. It's primarily a hashkafic question, but there are halachic issues over here as well. What are the halachic issues over here? that a person which is connected very much to the code to do, that a person, we shouldn't be agudos, agudos, a person shouldn't do something that makes him stick out. And that's certainly something that's a, uh, that's a, a, a significant value, that if you're in a, a community of Yerei Shemayim and Shomri Torah Mitzvahs, and they're all behaving a certain way, so there's no mitzvah to behave differently from everybody else and to stick out and to be someone that's different than everybody else and then the whole community of, uh, of, of Yerei Shemayim. I have a, uh, like, the marshal, if, uh, if, if my, my kids go to a yeshiva where they, uh, the yeshiva requires that they wear a hat and jacket 
for davening, which is a pretty standard thing for the yeshivas to to require in uh, in, in, in 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 certain circles. And uh, the truth is, by me, you know, I, I ask my kids when they become bar mitzvah, do you want a hat? I'll buy you a hat. You know, I started wearing a hat when I came back from Meretz Zon. Roshachta told me to start wearing a hat. But that was, you know, like it's not, it's not like a major value by me. So, uh, so they say, well, if I'm not going to wear a hat, it's hypocritical for me to wear a hat in yeshiva if I'm not going to wear a hat at home. No, it's not. If you're in a yeshiva where everybody dresses a certain way and that's the way you expect it to dress, so that's the way you should dress. If that's the way you're in, uh, you're in, you're in an environment like that, so you should conform at least outwardly. So certainly, I would think that that would be. Um, he's not asking about hats, but let's say with the sphere thing, I would think that you would, you shouldn't, uh, you shouldn't do anything that would make you stick out and be completely different from everybody else. Now, I'm not really sure. Uh, you know, of the details of the community. Is he really the only modern Orthodox guy in the whole community? The only, the only uh, I don't know, however you want to classify, religious Zionist person in the whole, the whole community? I don't know. I've never, never been to the community. If there is a uh, significant minority of people that are like that, so I don't think it's necessarily uh, sticking out like a sore thumb. You really have to, have to figure it out. Los agudos agudos, the violation of Los Escodos is much trickier nowadays. Than it, than it used to be. Because it used to be that there really was such a thing as Minagamakam. Now, where do you have Minagamakam anymore? In Washington Heights, maybe? On one side of Washington Heights? You don't, you don't have Minagamakam in too many places anymore. What? Lakewood. Lakewood? Not even. Not even. You don't have, have Minagamakam in, uh, in too many places anymore. It's, uh, so it's, it's very, very difficult to. Uh, now, in terms of uh, Shilas, and, you know, obviously Shilas that he's going to need to ask. That he's going to need, you know, people on site. He's going to need to ask local nidashaylas and things like that. So obviously, there's, he doesn't have a choice. You ask, you ask your local Orthodox rabbi. But what other halachic issues are there besides let's go do over here besides minachamakom? Is By hilchas nida, for example, if you have a mara, you have to show a, uh, you have to you have to show something to a rabbi. So there are those that will say, uh, you know, take a picture with your camera and uh, you know, and send it to me. It doesn't work. It's not. That's a terrible idea. That's not because when you're looking at a mirror, it's very important that the colors are right. Lighting changes on a phone, you know, could change everything, and and the nuances of color are very important. So you need someone to be able to look at it directly. It's not okay to just, uh, you know. Sometimes you could tell. Sometimes if it's, you know, you you could tell if it's a shayla or not. But if it's actually a shayla, you can't pass in it based on a picture in a phone. So he's going to need someone on hand to actually deal with it. What other issue might there be? Not raising your hand? Oh, I think. oh okay. So another issue is, you know, people sometimes like to go shopping for, uh, for you know, I know that uh, the Rabbanim in New York are going to give me answers to certain questions that are like, so you, should, should you really mix? Once you, you're, you're locked in to your local Rav for certain Shailas, should you mix your, uh, you know, your, your shaylas. Isn't there such, such an Indian of going to the same rabbi for all your shaylas? So the truth is, there isn't really such an Indian of going to the same rabbi for all your shaylas. And Shulchan Aruch, it says that if you asked Chacham Echad, then he was, uh, and he answered, you're not allowed to go ask another Chacham Bimatir. And it's Machlok Saposkim, but it seems that it's an Isra both on the second Chacham and an Isra on the Shoah. 
that a shovel once he gets a psak is not allowed to go and whether it's Shavya Nafshei Chatichu Di Yisura that once he accepted the psak of the first posek he's not allowed to go to uh, to the second posek or whether it's uh, some other issue but uh, but or it's maybe to be Zion to the first rav you're not allowed to go go ask some uh, a shaila that's already been asked and answered. But that's a very different issue than asking different shilas to different people. Let's say I know a certain rav who's an expert in dinim amunis. I go to him for my dinim amunis shilas. I know a different rav who's an expert in, uh, you know, I, have, uh, in, I, I live in the five towns or near the five towns, and there's one of the world's greatest experts in, in Nida shilas, lives nearby, Rabbi Binyamin Forst in, uh, in Farakaway. So I don't go to Rabbi Forst for anything else, really. Not, be, not because he's not qualified. He's eminently qualified to deal with any halachic shayla. But he's the world's expert in nida. So when I have like a serious nida shayla that I can't handle, so why wouldn't I go to him? He's right there. So you go to... So is that a problem? Because I don't go to him for my Hilcha Shabbos shaylas, and, and I, uh, I'll call Rabbi Willig, let's say, for Hilcha Shabbos shayla. So it doesn't say, I don't think that that's, that's really uh, an issue. However, one thing that, the, that is worthwhile being sensitive to is that sometimes people just have totally different drachim in Pesach Halacha. Like there are people fr- that were trained in a certain way. They're just an entirely different derech in Pesach Halacha. We've discussed this in the past. You look at the way Rav Yitzhak Zilberstein Paskins Halacha versus the way any of your Rebbe in Paskins Halacha. It's just it's an entirely different derech in Pesach Halacha. And maybe when you're, we won't even notice stiras if we're asking in different places and we're getting uh, Pesach Halacha that aren't just on different shaylas, but the piskei halacha that are coming from entirely different training and an entirely different way of looking at the whole system of halacha, and that maybe is is a little bit troubling. But having said that, if a person hashkafically believes that uh, that that a certain a certain way of thinking is uh, is correct, and that's the way he was trained, I don't. And given the the uh, the small. Uh, world that we live in nowadays with uh, instant communication across continents. Yeah, I don't think we would have given the same answer a couple hundred years ago or even a couple of decades ago, but, uh, but given the small world that we, that we live in right now, I don't think there's a problem for him to, uh, to send his shaylas, you know, that, that he has. And he could develop a relationship uh, with, with people by sending the shaylas that way as well. But something that's more overt, that's going to be uh, very, so he probably should conform. Probably if he would ask the shaylas in, in New York, we would tell him that. We would tell him to conform to, to the certain overt minhagim of the, of the community. But uh, in terms of uh, the more private things, I don't think there's a problem with him sending a shaylas. Yeah. I recall hearing the sack a number of years ago, before I lived in New York, that with regard to the issue of plag on shak with plag, that it was something came from my family that even though the shul died in late, early, my family was private in the Kabbalah Shabbos. Well, private in the Kabbalah Shabbos is not a and some there's some involved yeah, that, that's Mephor Shulchan That's Yeah, if, if an entire community is Mechabal Shabbos at a certain point, you're bound by the Kabbalah Shabbos of the community. Now, most of the time in the New York area, let's say, there are Minyanim at all different times. So the entire community has never been Mechabal Shabbos. It's rare to find a situation where the entire Jewish community is Mechabal Shabbos at a certain time. Where you find it is in camps. It's, in summer camps, a lot of times people will drive up, their wives work in camp during the week, and they come up for Shabbos. So the, the, camp, the camp always starts Shabbos early, and the guy is going to drive into camp an hour after they were Makabal Shabbos. That's a real problem, because they were Makabal Shabbos, and that was an entire community of people from anywhere, uh, you know, the, the, there's no, no other Jews around for miles and miles. And this entire, entire uh, very isolated community is Makabal Shabbos. So that you are bound to. But that, I think, is a... 
is is a different issue. I don't think that, that that's no gay over here. I think if, if a person wants to ask a shayla to to, uh, to to people that he relates to better, I don't think that there's a problem. Now it's interesting that he he came to me. Why would he come to me and not? Why isn't he asking the rabbis in Manchester this this question? Why is he asking a rabbi? Meaning he's already. Right, <laughs> so but I think there's there's a there's a tariff for that. Meaning, if there's certain people that 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 um, oh, this is better not to say, but th- there's there's certain there's certain ways of thinking where um, people can recognize multiple paths of avodas Hashem all being valid and all being appropriate, um, and then there are others that don't recognize other paths of avodas Hashem all being valid and all being appropriate. So you can go to a super Haredi rabbi and say, should I ask Shailas to a Haredi rabbi? Should I ask Shailas to a religious Zionist, uh, whatever, you know, Yeshiva University, whatever, you know, kind of... Uh, so what do you think he's going to say? <laughs> he's going to say, you should ask Shailas to the one who's a real Yerushalayim. Uh, so, uh, so I think just to, it's, it, when, when asking this question, it's important to, to even, when making that judgment call about people, to ask of someone who has a certain broad perspective and could recognize, uh, you know, the, the different, uh, different paths in, uh, in Avodah Sashem. Um, yeah? Okay, someone wanted to do 16? Number 16? Okay, oh, remember the Shiloh from the dog unit in the IDF? Yeah, so, uh, so he sent me another email this week, the fellow from the dog, from the uh, canine unit in the IDF. The original Shiloh he had sent was that he's in the canine unit and they, and they have a big uh, tekes on uh, Tishabav where they, uh, they, they have a whole program where they do a doggy funeral and they do a whole, a whole um, I don't know, a whole thing for, uh, in memory of the dogs with Hespedim, with the whole business. Just for for the dogs, and he wanted to know if that was appropriate. So now he writes three three more things. He says, number one, if a dog is sick, does the Allah allow us to put the dog down? And are there any issues with that? What are the determining factors? So no. So what's the Allah in this case? Are you allowed to kill a dog? If a dog is sick. What? Meaning the Mustama, the canine unit, the IDF isn't randomly killing dogs. They're killing dogs because these dogs are sick and probably terminally ill. Unless it's a cost uh, issue, then maybe to, to keep a dog around, if it's going to take a year till it recovers, it's easier to just get rid of it and not keep it around for a year. Um, probably if it's that issue, they shouldn't kill it. They should give it to someone who can, you know, I don't know. What? I'm sure someone wants a hero dog from the IDF or something. There's got to be some, some kennel or something that they, they should be able to. But if it's a dog that's terminally ill that's, uh, that, or is wounded, so there is an isr called Tzar Balechaim. Does Tzar Balechaim include... So what, what would be the Tzar Balechaim over here? Keeping the dog alive or killing the dog? Well, if you put it to sleep, then you're not causing much shock. Right. So killing an animal is not Tzar Balechaim. So you're allowed to just go around killing animals? What is it if it's not Tzar Balechaim? That you're taking something that's perfectly productive and perfectly useful and perfectly good and healthy and you're destroying it and you're not allowed to do that. The Ramam writes that the Yisra of Baltashchus in the, in the Torah, the Ramam writes, is obviously about Hashchasas uh, uh, Eitz, the, the, to, to chop down a fruit tree. There is a lot of, Gemara uh, has uh, interesting comments about someone who chops down a fruit tree, Kiyadamitzasada, that it's a school for very, very bad things to chop down a fruit tree. I think I remember I once asked Rabbi Willig about a Shaila about a fruit tree and he said, I, I don't pass in fruit trees. 
It's like, what do you mean you don't pass in fruit trees? You pass in agunos, you pass in everything else. You don't pass in fruit trees. Like, it's apparently like uh, chopping down fruit trees is like a very, uh, very scary thing. So uh, that's in Yisra Baltashkos. But the Ram says, Yesh Bechlal, included in the Yisra Baltashkos, is also destroying anything. Is destroying anything useful, destroying anything that's productive. Rav Asherai says a beautiful Chiddush in the end of Minchas uh, and Vayishlach, where he says, whenever the Ramam says that there's Nisra Daraisa and Yesh Bechlal, including that Yisra, is also this, that, and the other thing, it's not saying that, that the secondary list is a list of Dinim Drabanim. The secondary list is also the Sivdinim Daraisa. And it's this concept, a fascinating concept, that even within a Daraisa, on a Daraisa level, you have such a thing as an Iker Daraisa and a Tafel Daraisa. And he says that the Iker Daraisa is what you would get Malchus for, what you would get an Onesh for. But anything on the secondary list is Daraisa, but you wouldn't get Malchus for it. For example, there's an Israel in the Torah, Bal Teshaktu, Lo Nafshoseichem. What does that mean, Lo Teshaktus Nafshoseichem? What's the Israel Bal Teshaktu? Oh, so you said two different things, and you're both right. So you said eating eating bugs, and that's what the context in the Torah is. It's clearly about eating bugs. But the Gemara Maka says that not only is eating bugs a violation of Baltashaksu, but if a person is mashas nekava, he holds himself back from going to the bathroom, also a violation of Baltashaksu. And not only that, a person uh, drinks out of blood dyeing utensils, also a violation of Baltashaksu. And the Gemara, the Rambam says, person drinks out of a toilet. Also a violation of uh, of Baltashaksu to uh, to drink out of a toilet. Every family has like something. Yeah, I don't know. Well, you think nowadays it wouldn't be Baltashaksu in the stomach? No, the Rambam defines Baltashaksu is so you do something and everyone would say, "Oh, gross!" That they would just it would make a person just uh, recoil in uh, you know how grotesque it is. That would be a violation of uh, of Baltashaksu. Everyone has you know the two year old was caught by the toilet or uh, or something, you know. So okay. It's called yeah, so not necessarily. Not, that might not be a kartafel. That might just be multiple, that, uh, a generic lashon that includes many isurim. Um, but over here, it is, it's clearly referring to eating bugs, but it also includes, so, so, so that, that might be another example where uh, for eating bugs, you get malchus. Rambam writes in Sefer Mitzvahs, but for all the other forms of baltashaksu, makas mardus. Why? They're only dirabanan? No, they're daraisa. Potentially, it's Machlag Rishonim, but they might be Daraisa, but it's a Tafel Daraisa. So, anyway, so there is an Israel Baltashkis to just needlessly destroy things. But if it's n- you're not needlessly destroying something, Tzabel Chaim is also an Israel, but Tzabel Chaim is only is, killing it, it's not Tzabel Chaim. Tzabel Chaim is, means causing a pain. Is Tzabel Chaim Daraisa Drabaran? What are we all about Tzabel Chaim? So the Gemara said in Babatia explicitly, the Gemara said in Babatia, it's, it's Daraisa, we all just Daraisa. Where's the Pasuk? So there's another one of Rav Asher Weiss's famous Torahs. He says, he goes through 14 different shitos of where Tzar Balechayim is based in the Torah. So what does that tell you if there are 14 different shitos of what the Pasuk is in the no Torah? Uh, probably no one really knows exactly. And then none of them are probably correct. So that's what Rav Asher Weiss says. Do you think there are really 14 different uh, places? in the? No, but there are 14 places in the Torah where the Torah alludes to the fact that you have to have a little sensitivity toward animals. And the fact that there are 14 places in the Torah where it alludes to that, that tells you that it's the Ratzonah Torah that a person should have sensitivity toward animals. It's a Ratzonah Torah. And he thinks Ratzonah Torah is enough to create a Dindar Raisa. You look through Rav Asher Weiss's they're peppered with Ratzonah Torah, Libi Omerli, you know, these kinds of uh, ideas that he has a lot of confidence in his... Um, 
intuition, in his Torah intuition. Rav Shechter once told me that after Rav Salvechik passed away, or after he stopped passing a shilis, he got a phone call from someone, and they said, they asked him a shilis, he said, I'll have to look into it and get back to you. He said, no, no, what, just tell us what you think. And he said, I, I don't think anything yet, I have, to, I have to look into it and get back to you. He said, no, but when we used to ask Rav Salvechik, he used to... He, used to, he, he would also have to look into it, but he would say that Libyomerly, you know, that my intuition is that this would, you know, this is the. He said yes, because Rav Salvechik was a chef of Kala so his intuition was an intuition of Kala Torakula. But I, I need to actually look up the shadows. You have to have a lot of confidence that you have uh, that your mamish uh, Kala Torakula inside of you to say that uh, that your Libyomerly is uh, so. Okay, but getting back to the issue over here, if the dog is sick and the dog is suffering, so it's Sabalechaim to leave the dog alive. Lechora, it would be uh, if, if medically that's what they do. So of course you'd be allowed to put the dog down. I don't. I don't think. I don't. See, I don't see what the issue is. If the dog's not suffering, you just don't find it useful. Then they should probably find something else to do with the dog. Yeah. Right. Is it Sarah to be passive? Right. So is it, it's 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 right. It may not be Sarah but it's it's certainly wrong to see the suffering of creatures and not do something about it. So. That's a right, a similar idea that uh, you're going to you're going to sit idly by. Then he asked if I know of any svarim that deal with halachos for animals. Anyone know any svarim about this? Just go back to the other thing. Yeah. You see an ant which is like about to die. Should you do it? Kill it. Yeah. Not in Shabbos. Then why wouldn't if someone is really, really if a human being was in really miserable shape? Why wouldn't it? Why? It really that <laughs> There's an issue in the Torah called, uh, you may have heard of it, Lo Sirtzach. So <laughs> you're, not, okay, you're not allowed to, uh, you're not allowed to murder. You have to say, Lo Yeah, so we don't believe that. We believe that uh, that every every moment of a human being's life, a human being every moment could be doing mitzvahs and munah b'ashem. He could be strengthening his munah. So we believe that that every moment of life is precious. Um, we don't we don't kill somebody. Now the question is how much treatment do you have to give if the person is suffering terribly. That's a different issue, and that maybe we could discuss one time. That's a, that's a totally different issue. But we we would never. Chas v'shalom to actually uh, to actually kill some. We may not have to replace medication in certain situations. You know, when the when the bag runs out or whatever. But uh, we're not, and, and that the hospital would call that um, would, would, would call that terminating. You know, they, they would view not you replacing the medication bag. But no, that's even a DNR is one thing. This is the, the hospital views. If let's say the person has um, some sort of uh, of, uh, of medication for his heart or something that's keeping him alive, and uh, and it's, he's already on the medication, and the bag runs out, so the nurse comes and replaces the bag. So we would view not replacing that bag as not treating him, the, but you have to sign all sorts of waivers and forms and whatever to to be able to do that because the hospital doesn't view it as just not treatment; they view it as cessation of treatment, of pulling back treatment. It's like the same as pulling him off a ventilator. In the hospital, but we could discuss that a different time. But certainly, you're not allowed to uh, to kill a human being. That's not the issue of it. The, the issue is, is purely uh, by by a, uh, by a by a dog, by an animal, um, where uh, where the animal is otherwise suffering, 
and it would be an issue of, of Tzar Balei Chaim. Um, now, I, I don't know of any Svarim that deals specifically with pets, but I'm sure there are. You know, there, there are Svarim that deal with, with everything. Uh, I have a friend who just uh, published a two-volume Sefer on yarmulkes. So, I mean, if you, if there's a two-volume, big, fat volumes on yarmulkes. I'm sure there's a Sefer on pets somewhere. And the third, third question he asked, he said if he was going to learn something with the head of his unit, who's a high-ranking, accomplished officer, but is not religious, uh, so what should he learn with him? He thinks he can get him to learn with him for 15 minutes to a half hour, and it's like his goal before he leaves the army to learn with this guy. So what should he learn with him? What, what would we recommend learning with him? Sure. So, yeah, so, I, so I, I, you really need to know the person. Now, a lot of times, if the person, he said he may have grown up Dati, so if he grew up Dati, what, you know, a lot of the Kirov stuff is not going to work on him. He's not going to be interested because he knows all the... You know, he'll, he'll view it as, yeah, I heard that a million times. You know, he knows, he knows what you're trying to do. He know, so uh, I, I would say, whatever the most kishmak piece of Torah, whatever the piece of Torah you get most excited about, and is a, is a beautiful piece of Torah, so that, that's, what you would, uh, that's what I would share with, with such a person. That way, you just show them that you get a kishmak out of learning, that there's, a, that there's a beauty in the Torah. That's what I would say in that, uh, in that situation. Any other questions that, uh, that strike you as... Uh, Number nine. Uh, a few weeks ago, when you came to the Landers, okay. Um, <laughs> all right. So, so someone wanted to start a company that uh, pat with packages uh, that that to uh, to aid people in uh, in in tailgating. Um, meaning, if you show up to a football game, so it's very annoying to tailgate when you show up to a football game. You got to bring a folding table and folding chairs and the grill and the meat and everything else. And then you got to clean up and there's paper plates and where are you going to put the garbage? And it's just like it's a big mess. So it's, uh, it's it would be a great convenience. And if especially bring your kids to the game where the stuff doesn't even fit in the car because you have people in the car. So it's a big inconvenience to tailgate. But, like, you're not going to go to a football game and not tailgate, right? So if the game starts at 4 o'clock, it's a mitzvah to be there at 8 a.m. So you can, uh, you can be there all day. So, uh, so they want to provide a service for this religion in America of, uh, of, of NFL football. And uh, they, where, where their service will, will, will uh, provide that when you, that you just go onto their website, you order a package, the deluxe package, regular package, whatever the package is, and they'll meet you in the parking lot, set up all the tables for you, give you everything you need, grill, meat, everything that you need for your, for your tailgate, and they'll clean up after you and everything. Brilliant idea, great business model. They said, you know, we'll start in communities that you know, don't have major Jewish uh, populations. You know, we'll go in Indianapolis, or in, no offense to the Jewish community of Indianapolis, but it's, it's, not, it's not the largest Jewish community in the world. Or, you know, we'll go to Kansas City, whatever the, the Jewish communities that in, in New Orleans that don't have humongous uh, Jewish populations, and therefore most of the time it's probably going to be gone. So is there any problem with starting such a business? So here's the thing. The person said they, that they had already asked the Shaila to someone, and the rabbi that they originally asked Shiloh to said, yeah, but there's nothing wrong with it. The non-kosher meat is, is not Asr Bahana, it's only Asr Bahachila. There's no Isra unless it's Basr Bahalav. So it's no problem, that's absolutely fine. So uh, this is another example where, um, I, I don't know who the other rabbi is, but, but it's important that people know what they're talking about before they answer, before they answer a question, because it's true, it's not Asr Bahana. But there is an Afna Alach in Shulchan Aruch that this, there's Nisr Schorah 
a non-kosher meat. If you decide that the business you're going to go into is owning a non-kosher restaurant, that is not a business that you should be going into. That's an, that's an iser. Machlokas Rishonim, whether it's an iser daraisa or an iser drabanan, to do schora with non-kosher meat, uh, with non-kosher food, but it's, it's an iser something. So if you're going to provide other services only and you're not going to provide the food, so then it would seem that that would be fine. That would be wonderful. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, even, but if you're, if you're providing, even if you provide the grills and people are using those grills for non-kosher food, I don't think there's a problem providing the grill that people are going to cook non-kosher food on unless you, you know, they say it's for the Goldstein family or for the, then you should probably have... Uh, you know, uh, I don't know what to do in that situation, but you know, then you, so you should probably kosher the grill before you give it to them. Um, you know, so to uh, to avoid that 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 kind of uh, that you're providing them with an iser. But um, but if you're providing the actual non-kosher food, that seems to be a problem. So what's the eitzah? Let them provide kosher food. Why is that not a good eitzah? It's very expensive, especially if they're trying to go to these communities that don't have large Jewish communities. It's very hard to get to get a, a substantial amount of kosher food there. So that doesn't seem like a very good etza. It doesn't seem like a very good etza for the business model. It doesn't seem like a very good etza. So the person had a very interesting suggestion. He said, what if we use um, Hebrew National? You know, something that you know, self-respecting Shomri Torah Mitzvahs and Yerei Shemayim generally would not, would not eat. But it's technically, it's technically kosher. So can you, uh, can you, can you provide them with that? So just, I don't know enough. I don't know enough about So that's the question, whether it's technically kosher or not. So uh, I don't know enough about it. I mean, I know what I've heard, but uh, I don't know enough about it. I spoke to Rabbi Sablovsky about this child actually tonight. I saw him at a bar mitzvah I was at tonight, and uh, I, I, I asked him what he thought about this child. He said, Madna. You know, he said, it just doesn't strike you. It doesn't strike you as uh, something that you should be doing. To, to, I said, is it a nisuschor if he doesn't have any markup on the meat? The meat is not. Let's say he's a, all the markup is going to be on the, t- the folding tables and everything else. The meat's at cost. So is that a nisuschor? I thought that might be a, a way to get around it. He said, no. If you're buying meat to sell it, it's a nisuschor. He didn't. He didn't think that that's uh, that that's a heter if you have no plans of making money on the meat. I thought maybe you could say that you're just a shliach for the other person. So the the, the way I'm, you know, I, I dealt with this uh, is not to deal with the shliach. Let someone, I, someone else, I think, should have to deal with it. I'm not someone higher rank. You know, someone someone up the food chain. Uh, the sacks, maybe. Yeah. Does it really have any merit here? Like, since you could be selling non-orthodox Jews. There is a very issue if, if there's a Jew that would uh, say, you know, the idea of going to the markets where there aren't so many Jews maybe helps a lot because you could assume I'll be ruba de ruba de ruba that there are non-Jews. In the New York market, it may be, a little bit, may be a little bit different. And if you do a lot of business where the chances are ultimately there's going to be a Jew, then there could be a Lefnei issue for sure. Yeah. Oh, that's in general. If you have a business that's running a shop, so NFL football is generally played on, on Sundays, but uh, college football games are on Shabbos, and I guess playoff games are sometimes on Shabbos or something like that. So uh, yeah, that, then you just deal with the regular Shabbos issues. You may have to. Uh, the question is bringing a non-Jewish partner. Maybe that helps. If he could probably arrange that, he could have a. That might be the Eitz where whatever profits come from the food is going to be the non-Jewish partner's profits, and whatever profits come from everything else is going to be the Jewish partner's profits, but it has to be for real, then. It has to be, it has to be legitimately that way. I had a guy uh, in my shul who owns a UPS store, 
and he, he has, yeah, I think, the only UPS store in the country that's closed on Shabbos. He got special permission from the UPS uh, corporate that he can close on Shabbos. And they told him that they want him to open up another UPS store. I guess he has a successful thing going. They want him to open it. They like him. They trust him. They want him to open another one. So he said, okay, but I want to close on Shabbos. They said, no, we can't do that for you. So, uh, so he, he wanted to know, is he allowed to open up? I actually spoke to Rav Sachs about this when we were selling chametz on Erev Pesach. We both got there a little bit early. We were able to schmooze about this a little bit. So Rav Sachs, Rav Willow, they all said the same thing. They said, you, you, it's fine as long as he brings in a non-Jewish partner and the non-Jewish partner makes all the parnasa for Shabbos. I mean, it has to be legitimate. Like the non-Jewish partner gets 15%, full 15%. That way Shabbos and Yantif, you'll be, you'll be covered. But other than that, it's not going to work out. So I asked the guy, I told the guy that, and I asked him what he did afterwards. He said when he told them that he, that he might be able to work it out, if he brings in a non-Jewish partner for 15%, they said, oh, if you could do that, maybe we should do that to your other store also. He's like, you know what, no, I don't think I could do it. You know, he wasn't comfortable. He, had to, he, has, he has a special exception that he doesn't have to have his store open on Shabbos. So he, he's, he doesn't think there are any shortcuts around the religion. He he's, he's, wants to be Reshamayim and above board. Which, which EPS is? I think it's in Lower Manhattan. He's in Manhattan somewhere. He's also got 3D printing in his EPS store, so it's a very cool thing. So he he's the one that asked me the shadows about the 3D printer. Did we ever discuss those shadows? People asked him to make a, a Buddha doll and <laughs> skulls and skeletons and things. So he wanted to know like what are the gedarim, you know, a little uh, a little yashka, you know, like what are the gedarim of what of what he's uh, what he's allowed to make at the uh, the EPS store. Okay, so that's uh, interesting shadows. Regarding the shadow, he would just provide the grills without the meat. Yes, that's then, a lot better. Because that's not machal sasuras that you're making schara and you're just providing the kalim. And it's also easy to kasher it. They are doing machal sasuras. So you kasher it. I'm saying there's no, there's no schara issues there. No I don't think it's a schara issue. No, I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't think that would be an issue. I think you can get around. Yeah, I think that would be fine. Uh, time for one more? Yeah. I think in here, not allowed to open on kosher, but they can start to eat it. I remember that one time I had this. I went to buy a new interpreter. Oh, to do schar with non kosher that you may come to. Yeah, shulchan pasuk if it's damnula. Right, shulchan pasuk if it's damnula. Let's say you uh, you shak to the cow and you messed up the shkita, so you you weren't buying it to sell it, but now you can't eat it, so you're allowed to sell to a guy in that case. If it was nizdamnula, it just happened. But if it was uh, the kavana, that that's what you were doing. <coughs> so Shulchan Aruch is explicit that you're not allowed to that you're not allowed to do that. Um, Twelve, one last one. Uh, oh, someone is going to Rome. This this was from another rabbi asking this question. Someone is going to Rome this Shabbos in an area with no air events and is concerned about walking around without any ID. Shmir Shabbos talks about Shas Mulchama carrying ID with a shinui. What is your opinion about the status in Rome today? Is it a shas milchama that the person is allowed to carry ID without an eruv? Devar mitzvah, like on shul, different than walking Shabbos afternoon. What do you think? So my first thought was, well, let's think about it. Hotzaz, are we talking about Rosh Hashanah Darais? Are we talking about something that's not Rosh Hashanah Darais? So chances are we're talking about not Rosh Hashanah Darais, right? And if you do Otsar Kalach Yad, we're talking about a Shvus to Shvus, assuming not like those Rishonim that hold that every Shvus to Shvus needs an Amir La'akum element. Right? Let's assume that any two Drabbanans can make a Shvus to Shvus. So I thought, and Bimakom Sakana, Shas Mulchama, how do we define what's called the Sakana? So we don't define it by percentages. Allah defines uh, what would be considered a Shas Chak or a Shas Sakana, something like that, by what a reasonable person would be concerned about. 
if it's a reasonable thing that a reasonable person would be concerned about this and would take the safety precaution. So first I thought, yeah, for sure, in the, if it, especially for a Dvar Mitzvah to go to shul, not to stop take a walking tour on Shabbos afternoon, but to go to shul, to do a shvus to shvus, if he carries with the shinoi, and, uh, you know, it's a, it's a reasonable person would be concerned about it. But then I started Googling around. I started trying to find... I, was, I couldn't think, why is it important to carry an ID? In Rome, what are you gonna, if someone's going to lynch you because you're wearing a yarmulke, it's more important to wear a baseball cap probably, but they're gonna, if they're going to come after you because you're wearing a yarmulke, you say, no, no, wait, I'm licensed in the state of New York to drive. And they'll be able to ID the body maybe, but that's, I mean, I, I don't know what, what, what the value of carrying the, the ID is. So I, I was looking around. It turns out there are a lot of schools in Europe now that make you submit an ID before Shabbos, so that they, they'll have on record, the guard at the door of the shul will see your picture ID, they'll have a copy of your ID, and they'll recognize you, they'll know to let you into shul, they don't want to let strangers into shul, and they, they require that for safety. But not to carry an ID on Shabbos, I couldn't think of any reason why one would have to carry an ID on Shabbos, I couldn't find online either. So I asked the rabbi who asked the shayla, why, why does he need to carry the ID? He said, no, no reason, he just feels like he'd be more comfortable doing that. So I don't think that's a reasonable, uh, I don't think that's, that's, that's something, that's a reasonable request, to, even in the Shavuz to Shavuz. If it's something that's actually for safety, and it actually makes sense for safety, he wants to carry a gun, okay, that I hear, he wants to carry a gun, that, that might help him in a, in a tough situation. The ID probably is not going to help him in a difficult situation. Ah, oh, so I was asked that Shiloh also about yeah, but about um, so first of all, you probably shouldn't leave the boat then, but but well, right, right, it was there the whole Shabbos, and you can leave it. So when when carrying without a neighbor is a, is is a, is a bigger issue over there again. If you're just going for a spazier, you know, it's not a security thing. But uh, I was asked someone went went to the Republican Jewish Convention or something. I forgot what it was in Las Vegas. And they told everyone around the hotel that they have to carry their, their IDs with them throughout the hotel. So in the hotel, I think it's mutter anyway to carry. I don't think there's a problem anyhow. So I didn't think it was, he was asking if it's a muksa issue. I don't think it's muksa. It's, use, it's useful so that you can get into whatever lectures you want to get into, whatever rooms you want to get into. He had a whole bunch of other shilas. Maybe we could do that at a different, a different time. Okay, we'll stop there. Have a great Shabbos, everybody.